From training to performing, join our Big League Conversation. Welcome to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast with your host, Eric Cressy. Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Cressy, and we are excited for episode 18. We've got an awesome guest for you today. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. It's an all-in-one superfood supplement with 75 whole food sourced ingredients designed to support your body's nutritional needs across five critical areas of health, energy, immunity, gut health, hormonal support, and healthy aging. Um, professionally, in spite of the fact that I'm a supplement minimalist, this is a product that I recommend to just about all of our clients as I view it a lot more like whole food nutritional insurance. Um, its ingredients have been carefully selected. Um, you get essential vitamins and minerals, digestive enzymes, um, you get prebiotics, probiotics, um, and you won't find any harmful chemicals, artificial colors, flavors, preservatives, sweeteners, or any kind of added sugars. Um, works really well for folks who are gluten and dairy free. Um, and I love it personally for younger athletes who may have holes in their diets. Um, and college and pro athletes who may have complex travel schedules where they can't always get quality food while they're on the road. Um, on a personal level, I use this every single day of the week. Um, I have uh, three kids under the age of five. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm an avid lifter. I split my, my time between two parts of the country. So needless to say, life's stressful and sleep dep- deprivation is a real thing. So with that in mind, I, I lean really heavily on Athletic Greens for my immune support and really believe it's made a big difference in keeping me healthy in spite of this crazy lifestyle. So get your vital nutrition in 30 seconds or less at athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy, where you can claim your special gift of 23 travel packets. Again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy, A-T-H-L-E-T-I-C-G-R-E-E-N-S.com backslash C-R-E-S-S-E-Y. You can claim your special gift to get 20 free travel packets. Today's guest is a relief pitcher for the Chicago Cubs. He's a native of Las Vegas and was drafted by the Padres in the 40th round in 2004 out of Dixie State in Utah. He was released after 2005, sat out 2006, and then played independent ball in 2007 through 2009 when the Brewers eventually signed him and sent him to AA. In 2010, he was a September call-up with the Brewers and spent 2011 to 2015 in the big leagues with that organization. After 2015, he signed with the Twins and partway through the 2016 season became their closer. He progressed to become an All-Star in 2017 and was traded to the Nationals at the trade deadline. At the end of that offseason, he signed a two-year deal and was then traded to the Cubs partway through the season. He's now a fixture in Chicago's bullpen and was actually their pitcher of month in June of 2019. He has 48 career saves. Welcome to the show, Brandon Kinsler. All right, Brandon, welcome to the show. Thank you. Appreciate it. This is going to be fun to, uh, to go through this stuff. Um, you're one of the more entertaining guys that we get to interact with, and I don't think the world gets to see it because you're not a big social media guy. So we're going <laughs> to gonna pull back the, the, the cover and let them all in on, on what goes through Brandon Kinsler's mind. So, oh, gosh. I, yeah, I know. We're in, we're in for a treat. So with that said, uh, you, know, you, have a, you have to share your story in pro ball. It's one of those ones that I possibly can't do justice Aside from the fact that you started as a, a 40th round draft pick out of Dixie State in Utah in 2004. And so you get drafted. And what happens? 
I was 40th round twice. That's tough to do, I think. <laughs> so I didn't imp- first year I got drafted by the Yankees. I didn't improve much. So they I, maybe I went higher in the 40th round. I, I don't know. I'm not sure what happened the next year. But uh, yeah, 40th round, and I didn't want to go to school anymore. So I took what they gave me. That did draft and follows back then, so it was yep. a little easier. But um, you know, then oh, I know I didn't have really have a good shoulder at the time, so I knew I needed to at least try to. Get back, get in the pro ball, and see what could happen. Because I know if you go to college and you don't have a good shoulder and you get hurt, more than likely, no one's ever going to draft you. You know, mm-hmm. so uh, I never really was healthy the first couple of years with the Padres. You know, I took plenty of quarter zone shots and just trying to survive. And I still remember the story. And I guess 2006 spring training. You know, there was a farm director, and then there's they had a meeting, and they said, you know, anyone going to stick up for Brandon Kinsler, and no one thought that, a, they're like, why are we going to keep a 5'10 right-hander that throws, you know, 93 or whatever, that has a bad shoulder, anyone going to stick up for him, and not one person stuck up for me, so they released me, mm-hmm. so then I went uh, went home and uh, tried to rehab my shoulder all summer, and just wasn't working, ended up having shoulder surgery, and then uh, tried to do the best I could, then I had a call from Winnipeg gold eyes which i had no idea where the heck that was <laughs> no idea mm-hmm. and then uh the guy said oh we're in canada we're above north dakota i had no idea but just get on the plane and showed up in canada and played two years there but first year i got rookie of the year there you know i always thought independent ball i'll be in and out it'll be just fine but mm-hmm. you know it's kind of a humbling experience right away if you don't really focus you get your butt kicked because you know there's a lot of good players there there's some former big leaguers in that team mm-hmm. And then I I didn't get signed out of there. And then I remember I went to a tryout and for the Phillies, flew all the way to Florida that offseason. I threw five pitches and they said they were good. I think his name was Pat Gillick, whoever that GM was at the time, Gillich, <laughs> Gillich. He said, oh, we're good. You're done. So I threw, flew all the way to Florida, threw four pitches. Didn't really, <laughs> so I got nothing out of that. <laughs> oh, and then uh, went back to Winnipeg for 08. Didn't really have a good year. I was really just to the point where, you know, I was running out of time. I needed to make a move in my life, so I asked to get traded because mm-hmm. I knew guys weren't really getting signed out of Winnipeg at the time. I mean, a lot of guys were getting signed out of St. Paul, and mm-hmm. I know my my mindset mindset at the time wasn't right. I needed to probably take my workouts a little more serious. I needed to train harder, so I just dedicated myself that off season, just getting stronger, running as hard as I could, throwing as far as I could, doing whatever I could to just get my body to be explosive from the shoulder surgery. So my shoulder really was the velocity that never came back. At, for two years yep and then uh everything clicked in st paul you know when I, it was uh, my goal was to start the all-star game and some i had good numbers and i ended up being the starter and somehow 94 showed up that day showed up on the right day and i was signed the next day and then just kind of ran with it you know they sent me to double a never even been to double a before that and they let me be a starter to at least establish myself to give myself a chance they i just wanted an invite to spring training next year so they invited me back and I made the team as a double A as a long man, mm-hmm. but after the two games, I was a closer, and then I just got hot. You know, I just kind of figured what my strengths were for being a reliever, and I just ran with it. And I was in the big leagues by the end of that year. Absolutely. So you know, the, you, you talked about like kind of the first uh, revelation, right? Going through like getting the shoulder right, and you know, being persistent and getting the velocity back. So that was kind of the the first turnaround in your career, and then. What was interesting is, you know, you, you had, you know, good success, you know, you're in the biggest of the Brewers 2011 to 2015 for, you know, most of the year in each one of those years. And then in 2015, the velocity kind of went down and 
that was actually when we met up that first 15, 16 off season. Reed Johnson, I remember, connected us after you guys yeah. met up in, in Vegas. But what took a, a guy in 2015 that was kind of a fringe big leaguer um, to being a closer in 16 and an all-star in 17? One is health. I just, yeah. you know, obviously I had a surgery in 11, stress fractured my elbow, so I had to put a screw in. Mm-hmm. So that takes obviously time for the body to, I think, to adjust, to try to learn. I, it took me over a year almost to recover from that. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, my knee started to go. So my patellar was partly torn for two years. And, I, you know, I, they just thought it was tendonitis. Mm-hmm. And then finally I had that surgery. And then going into 15, I just didn't rehab right, apparently. And my leg never got strong. And then obviously I figured I, I needed to do something. I was, wasn't doing something right. And I happened to run into Reed and, I knew that, you know, obviously I wasn't talking to the right people. So you got, you got my legs stronger, (laughs) you know, you got to be strong in your legs, but there were so many areas that I didn't know about. And you just got me moving in different ways. And as you get older, if you're obviously, if you're not moving, you know, you're not going to be athletic anymore. So I think health wise and getting my legs strong going into 16 and then from 16 to 17, especially we got that full off season together to really build it is what changed everything. Yeah. So average fastball below 90.8 and 15, 92.7 and 16 and 93.4 and 17. So, um, like a fine wine, man. For, for anybody, yeah, I was gonna say, like for for anyone out there who doesn't think having healthy knees is important to pitching, there's oh, your, it's so big. There's your quantifiable numbers. So, so here's a question: is is do you feel like over the course of time, you know, it sounds like a lot of your success went in and out, you know, on the health side of things. How has your pitch mix changed over the years? You talked about being a starter and a reliever, but you know, have you always been this two seam guy, or is that something that you you came to over the course of time? No, I just, in, uh, when I was an independent ball, throwing, what, 86, 80, 88, maybe, four seam, that, those guys hit that a long ways. Okay. And so I was just like, man, I really need to figure out how to make, get a quick out or get inside on righties, because I just kept throwing four seam changes, four seam changes. My slider wasn't really coming back with from my shoulders, so I really didn't have anything. So I just really just started, one day, oh, I started rehabbing my shoulder one year in 06, and Greg Maddox was there. And I was always curious about sinkers, you know, but I thought you had to do like a special grip or a special finger pressure. And he's like, no, nah, man, he just, it's where you, because when I want to let, throw it to the glove side, I land a little more to the left. When I want to throw it to the other side, I land a little slightly more to the right because it's that simple. There's no finger pressure. And I was just like, well, I can do that. <laughs> so I just kind of, you know, as my, my body got healthier, I just started to play with it, you know, trying to explode my hips a lot later, you know, to create late sink. All I wanted to do is create late sink and have my body just explode really late in my delivery instead a lot of guys will fly open when they want to try to throw like a glove side sinker and then it becomes a runner and those go really far yeah (laughs) or you know if you throw it arm side and you open up and the runner hits the guy you know it's just i just really was trying to figure out a way for three years in independent ball how to drive this ball down in the zone and it just it took a lot of practice every day playing catch took a lot of side bullpens and but as my body got healthier out it started just connect yeah and, you know, you kind of lead to, like, to, you know, I, I think there's kind of two sides to, you know, what goes into a two, good two-seam. So the first side is the the strategy of it, and then there's the actual, like, the mechanics and the delivery. So what does it take to be a, a successful two-seam guy in a, you know, a baseball world that is now, you know, trending heavily towards being these high spin rate four-seamers? You're, you know, you're one of the guys that's thriving, you know, with like a, you know, about a two in the big leagues right now, ERA-wise in spite of the fact the game's going in a different direction. What is it about your two-seam that, that makes it effective? I think just late movement down. I mean, it's a round ball, round bat. I don't care what the, 
you know, high spin rate stuff is around ball, around bat. If I can make this thing move really late, you got to, and you want to swing up, there's going to be two round objects going to hit each other, and the, this one's going to go down, and you're going up. Yeah, man, I think the odds are in my favor of you hitting it on the ground or top spinning something. It's going to be extremely hard to backspin it. Mm-hmm. So I just, you got to believe in the strength. That got me there. I don't know why it would ever change. Yeah. Just because people are like, oh, they hit it now. I mean, if someone tried to tell me the other day left handers are killing sinker ballers, well, I just don't believe in it because if I throw a good one and I execute my pitch, it doesn't matter who you are. I think it's definitely pitch execution is you can't just throw a sinker down the middle, obviously. If I hit it to corners, then the odds are in my favor. I just – I don't – I mean, the sooner, pitching up in the zone has always been a bad thing. And sooner – that's why the home run rate is so high. Yeah, strikeouts are up, but the home runs are astronomical. And if you're not pinpointing this high fastball that everyone wants to throw, yep. these guys are going to hit it out. Yeah. So Absolutely. might as well just throw the ball down and see what happens. <laughs> so well, here's a question for you. So what, when you have a, you know, a 24-year-old that comes up to the big leagues or says hello to you in spring training and starts to ask about a, a two-seamer, like I remember you, you were talking to some of our college guys a couple years ago when you were in Boston, and you, you dropped the line, you don't throw a, a, a sinker, you power a sinker. Um, exactly. Do you think it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mindset thing more than it is like a, a hand pressure or a pitch design thing for most guys? Or what, what are, What's the advice you find yourself giving to guys the most? I always try to tell guys, you know, wait till they feel their fingers on top, you know, right by their ear and then just drive the thing down. But you really got to drive it with your lower half. If you're just trying to throw a hard two-seamer, those things, it doesn't do anything. It's just going to, the spin rate's going to go up and they're going to become runners. If you, if you stay relaxed and really just explode late with your lower half, you know, I think your extension gets better. If you have good extension on a sinker, the thing is going to go down. It's going to be extremely late. But guys just always think they want to throw this. They want to throw it hard, and they, you know. But I think they just they use the body too early, and it becomes a runner. You just really got to be patient with it and know that I'm going to drive this thing down because the object is for it to go down. Everyone always wants to see this movement. If you can see the movement, the hitter can see it a mile away. Yeah. So that's the problem. Absolutely. Now, a couple of years ago, you even you even told me, you know, obviously your your best career ever was in your your Vivilo was the best. But I remember you saying something to the effect of, when I start seeing like ninety fives in the radar gun, I know I'm I'm doing something wrong. Like that, exactly. I'm, I'm actually elaborate on that for me because most guys, it's it's heresy to say that less Vilo is better, and you're one of the few guys who I've ever heard that from. So. Well, I've just learned that the 92, 93 range is where I get the latest sink. You know, my body's, I mean, my mechanics are a good sink. I'm not trying to muscle up. You know, if I see everyone, I'm almost okay with 94, but if I see 95, 96, I know I got a problem. I know it's not going to be late movement. Yeah, it's hard. It's I'm throwing it hard. You know, guys got to react a little differently, but that thing is going to be a little up and it's not going to do what I planned on it doing. Mm-hmm. So the location I I wanted to throw it to and have it start is going to stay in that location, and that's when you know you're you're in danger zone or the ball getting hit out or you know or you get like a stupid jam shot or something. But if I do the ninety two ninety three range, I get that late sink down. You know, I get those nice little ground balls or possibly a swing and miss. Absolutely. So uh, obviously this off season, I know you guys brought in Tommy Hadavi and you got a really good working relationship with him in Chicago. And there were there were certain mechanics changes I'm going to ask you about, but I'm going to ask you about the, like the pitch selection changes because right now you know you're you're, you're largely known as a two seam guy, but you are throwing fewer fastballs. But this year you almost twice as many changeups, and your your slider usage is up like four percent. What was this like a conscious thing? Is it something that's happened um, in light of you know you struggling in certain parts of the zone or against certain hitters? What what led to those kind of desires? 
I think we just got my body in a good position now where I can repeat mechanics. And before, I was so hit or miss on my off speed. Like, I was always kind of able to throw a changeup, but really, ever since I had elbow surgery in 11, my slider has been, like, non-existent. I mean, I had a really good slider before that. Mm-hmm. But I think my I just started with the knee problems and stuff. I just tried to compensate how to throw a slider, and my body would just would never repeat. And I think now that I'm healthy and we simplified my mechanics, I can repeat that arm slot and be able to power these pitches where I can throw any pitch now. I mean, my changeup has been a huge weapon. And it looks just like my sinker. So, yeah. I mean, it's not like it wasn't a plan. It was just like, you know, the catcher just started calling it one day in spring training and beginning of the season, and I was able to just throw the pitch and execute it. So now we just started like, wow, this right-on-right changeup are huge. It's huge against lefties. So I have a slider now if we need these guys are thinking back to our sinker. You know, it's just been weapons. But I think being able to repeat the mechanics and being healthy is just – allows me to throw other pitches instead of like, well, my body's only throwing a sinker today. I mean, I just was just hoping praying hit to that somebody. Yeah. With, with the actual, um, you know, kind of like changes. I, I know in 2018, you, you, you kind of went down some, some bad paths, started like, you know, chasing more strikeouts, getting away from, from who you were kind of describe how that came about. Cause you're an all-star in 17 and then 18 was a, was a challenging season on a, on a couple of fronts. What was it about the, the approach that, that changed and um, you know, what kind of advice do you have to other kids, you know, who are, who are like looking at this and, you know, wondering like, how do I avoid just chasing what the crowd is doing and, and, you know, being my own unique don't listen to Max Scherzer, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> he told me in spring training last year, if I had more strikeouts, I'd be on another level. So I was like, well, I didn't get very, res- I didn't get respected much in free agency. Maybe, you know, if I do try to do this trend that everyone's doing, maybe I'll get more respect. But it just created a lot of bad habits for me. And throwing, it got me under my sinker a lot because I was trying to throw up in the zone. I was practicing my sliders so much to where I just felt like my hand wasn't getting into position to throw the sinker anymore. And then, all of a sudden, I tried to go back to it, and I started a good run, but then I got traded over to the Cubs, and there was just so much information. It was like a candy, like you're in a candy store for all these kids, but for me, like I love the information so much. It just put me underwater, though. I was pitching underwater. I had too much stuff on my mind, and I was, just, I was trying to throw these high fastballs or high sliders in on lefties, and I just I don't do that. Like I just yeah. don't do that. So my advice to anyone would be, Stick to your strengths no matter what, and don't let any of the trends or anyone try to change you. Everyone's going to have this, oh, you should do this. You know, this would totally help you. No, you are who you are, and do what. just be really good at what you do and perfect that before you ever want to try anything, but be really good at that, and you'll probably excel before you try to try something that you don't really do good at, but you're kind of okay. I just... I'm not a fan of that. Yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned Max and, and uh, you know, you, you jokingly said, don't listen to Max Scherzer. You and Max are very good friends and you guys were catch partners when you were the Nats too. And, and yeah. Max, Max trains with us and there's a lot of like uh, ball busting back and forth from across the country during the off season <laughs> when he gets to town. So, um, you know, so I, I'm curious and, and I know Max was, wasn't happy about how it went down in, in Washington last year and, and you know, very unfairly, you were portrayed in kind of a bad light when that, that trade went down, um, you know, about, you know, potentially not being a good clubhouse guy or anything like that. And it was, for me, it was like eye-opening because I knew how helpful you were to Max in terms of, of challenging him to be better and being honest with him when not a lot of people are able to be honest with him because he's, you know, so accomplished. I know right. talking to Doolittle, like you guys are very close and, you know, some of the other guys in that pen, like Justin Miller, those guys all rave about, you know, the teammate you were. And then, you know, C-Shack, Hendricks, some of the guys we've talked to in Chicago all think the world of you. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious, like, what is it do you think 
you know, obviously there's, uh, you know, the media aspect of it, but where is, where's Brandon Kinsler misunderstood? Why do we all see you as, as like this, this great teammate, but for some reason it doesn't always carry over to what people read in the media. I think people just one, maybe too sensitive. If you're too sensitive, you're probably not going to like me because you know, one, we're only playing this game for so long in our life. And if you're not going to have fun and be honest with each other and, you know, bust balls and, you know, you're, you might as well get out of the game. You're not going to last very long. Uh, I just like, I like to help people out a lot and I like yeah. to talk crap, but I feel like me talking crap is somewhat trying to break your, your wall down and stop being so sensitive. And then we can try to get to the real talk. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what happened to DC. I, I think I was just a scapegoat because I was, so I was, everyone already knew I was outspoken, you know, salty or whatever they yeah. want to say. And <laughs> I feel like times were bad at the time and they were looking for a scapegoat and, you know, obviously they try to tarnish my career by saying stuff that they did. But, you know, I think I'm going to win on the other side. You know, I got to go to the Chicago Cubs. I mean, that's yeah. just sorry about it. but that's <laughs> Pretty good alternative. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. But I just think teammates, you know, I might I might rub you the wrong way in the beginning. And if that's who you are, then I just don't care anymore. Like I've been through so much in baseball yeah. where you try to be the guy to tiptoe around and. Or you try to be, you know, try to be everyone's friend. You just got to stop worrying about being everyone's friend and just try to be yourself. And in the end, you know, if they respect you, great. I mean, if not, then oh, sorry about it. You know, it's interesting. Like, I think some guys say they they like people who are very direct. You know, whether it's coaches or teammates or anything like that. But when they actually get it, they don't they don't realize that they weren't ready for it at all. Um, and I, I can remember even Steve talking about like, you know, even just the pitching coaches he works with. Like, he doesn't like like the roundabout you know, uh, elaborative, you know, pitching report. He likes someone to just be like, this guy can't hit sliders, throw sliders, like something very direct like that. It's right. It's probably one of the reasons why you and Steve, you know, have, have hit it off so well, you know, that's just how he is. I'm not a big fan of scouting reports. So obviously he likes to have information. I'm, I don't want any information. I don't want to know anything. I just want to be able to execute what I do, but you know, Steve's very talented in what he does. He could throw sliders everywhere he wants. And if, if a guy says you can't hit sliders, he don't care if he has this great fastball. He's going to throw all the sliders in the world. Yeah. Um, so speaking of C-Shack, tell me about the prank war. Where did where did this originate? Man, one, uh, one he's just mad because I beat him in golf in spring <laughs> training, and he had to pay for a bullpen dinner. So I had to let him – and I had to give him like eight strokes, which was ridiculous, and I won by like 20. <laughs> so – that's where it kind of started. So he had a grudge against me. And then in Cincinnati one day, you know, I had this phone call in my room at six o'clock in the morning saying your breakfast is there. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want no freaking breakfast. You know, I said a little, I was a little meaner to the lady, but so then there, she like hung up on me and they kept knocking on my door. So I was pissed. <laughs> and then, so I, I knew the night before though, cause we had like a little team get together watching uh, the basketball game. And then I was walking out and someone asked what my alias was. And I said, and they already knew it. And C-Shack told them. And then, so I blame it on C-Shack for telling what my alias was for my room. So they went and put the breakfast, you know, tab on your door. Mm-hmm. And they, they wanted to send, you know, food for six at six thirty in the morning to my room. <laughs> <laughs> so I was really upset about that. So then, I tried to play it back on him. I don't know how he got it. We were in D.C., and I put the breakfast door on his, on his thing to get it at 6 a.m., and I gave him some nasty breakfast. But somehow he saw it at 1.30 in the morning. I don't know what Steve's doing. I don't know how he heard me put it on his door. So apparently he <laughs> caught it. He never got the breakfast. <laughs> so a week later, I show up to the field, and, and all my stuff's out of my locker. I'm like, oh, man, what did C-Shack do? And all of a sudden, I had these notes of a scavenger hunt 
all around the freaking stadium to find my clothes. All on it was video pretty too, good. right? Yeah, he, he recorded oh, it's all it. on video. He has the video. I mean, it's pretty impressive, but all the but when I I'm waiting till the end of the year and I pretty think I have a really good idea. We might have his car in center field and BP would be hit trying to dodge his car or something. <laughs> it's kind of like going <laughs> to the driving range when they're picking up the balls and you go after the guy in real time. That's good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, he bought this little mini Cooper. He thinks he's cool to drive around town his big giraffe neck sticking above this mini Cooper, but that thing's going to be destroyed by the end of the year. He's had a lot of practice. This is not Steve's first prank war. There have been some pretty good ones on uh, on the home front during, uh, during the offseason as well. So you, I wouldn't doubt it. He's pretty. He's a sneaky assassin for sure. I'm pretty sure Steve called me one night at like 9:30 at night, and he was like, "Hey, um, I need your help. I got to put a hundred pink flamingos on my buddy's lawn." <laughs> and I was just like, "Steve, I'm going to bed. Sorry, man. You're on your own this one." But um, if if you knew him, you wouldn't think anything of it. So you got to keep the lights. It's, it's a long season. So um, all right. So we're 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 working our way through this. Um, I want to add, we're going to do like kind of like a lightning round, but I, I feel like actually in asking you these, um, it'll probably lead to some better discussions that might not be so quick. So, um, right. what advice would you give to a teenage Brandon Kinsler? Oh, just, should have worked. Just work out and work hard. I don't think you're just talented. <laughs> yeah. Don't be such an idiot. Well, and you grew up in like kind of a hotbed. You were in Vegas. So there's, yeah. there, I mean, that's Greg Maddox. That's Chris Bryant. That's Bryce Harper. There's some good players that have come out of Vegas. We had like probably 10 guys drafted my senior year in high school out of Vegas. Everyone threw 95 back then. It was very talented. I just, I definitely wasn't the talented one. I was just the, the good athlete that just thought he'd show up. You know, I didn't know. It was back in the day. It was old school. Yeah. No one really done anything back then. Absolutely. Were you a multi-sport guy or was it baseball only? Oh no! I played everything. I was one. My main thing was BMX. I was, That's right. That was my thing growing up. There's a YouTube video of my jump. Steve's showing everybody around on the team now. <laughs> Colin Colin Coward actually is. He was a Vegas anchor at the time, and he did it. It's kind of crazy to see him. No kidding. And then, and then uh, obviously basketball. I mean, I played. I think it was so important to play so many sports to stay athletic. I didn't really go full time baseball until I was like 14. That's awesome. Um, so, what about minor league Brandon Kinsler? What do you tell him? What, what keeps him on the right track? Well, minor league Brandon Kinsler was just trying to survive and be healthy. Independent ball Brandon Kinsler was, you know, thought it was just going to be easy and I get out of here. But as soon as I got out of independent ball, I was just, I was on a mission. Just so I would tell the minor league Brandon Kinsler to stay on the mission and keep your head down and go. You know, don't try to look too far forward. Just you know, stay present during the day you know like trevor hoffman always said prepare for today and don't worry about anything else so once i kind of learned heard that you know it just stuck with me yeah you know what one of these I've, I've always thought was was interesting about you was like what a student of not just like the game of baseball you are but like even on the training side of things like it'd be one thing if you just like got your program followed it that was that like I remember we went down and we did kind of like an in-service for the national staff at the spring training complex. And, you know, we're looking at some of the guys and you're, you're jumping around and be like, what do you see? Is it this? Is it this? And like, you've really taken a, a pretty big amount of ownership in it. Is that something that's just, you always had in, you were curious how the body worked. Is it something that you got more and more interested in once you had all the injuries and had right. to kind of learn how you move efficiently? Yeah. Injuries. I was so curious of why my knees kept hurting, you know, well, one shoulder. So my might as well, if I'm going to be around a shoulder guy, I might as well learn everything I can. So obviously that's why I ask you so many questions. Sorry if I annoy you. You don't. <laughs> <laughs> and then the knee, I was just, even after knee surgery, my knee never got better. But then my other knee started hurting, and I was just so curious of why it's, why I keep getting patellar problems. So I just wanted to do all – I wanted to learn so much of why – what functions the knee so much. And I never even thought about my 
feet and ankles and then the hip, everything just affects so much. I just never, no one pays attention to any of that. And that's why I try to, I want to pay, I want to learn so much. You, know, you never know. Obviously I get older, obviously I need to move off. I want to stay healthy. I don't think if, um, if I learned all this stuff, I would still be thriving at 34. So hopefully I want, I want to play at least two more years after this. So if I can keep learning more and then just help other players, I feel like I've helped a lot of players along the way, learn stuff about them, their bodies that helped them for, uh, survive and stay healthy so you just never know i mean i think i was put around here to be able to help other other players uh, help their careers so even we all need a job when we're done playing at some point yeah. so you never know could you could you see yourself coaching when all is said and done it would have to be the big leagues only there is no way i'm doing or like a consultant i want to do your thing i want to do the consulting Spe- thing, but special it, assistant That's- yeah i want to be consulting pitching guru but if you need help on the fitness side i got a guy <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you're you really just primed for a big like social media like party when you retire. Like that's when you that's when you go to Twitter and you get to be super kind of like when uh, Dan Aaron like retired like when he he started just dropping amazing lines on Twitter. Um, maybe, <laughs> I don't maybe know if everyone's ready for me to be on Twitter. I you're think not, people you're either going to really love me or hate me. I, I can go either way. Absolutely. Well, I think your your point on like learning how the body works is in, like what people don't realize is that performance and health are not mutually exclusive, right? What you do to, to try to get your shoulder healthy or get your knee to stop hurting is in many cases, the exact same stuff that's going to allow you to throw harder. And I think, you know, in nowadays, everybody wants to speak to like the mechanics changes or what the data is saying, whether it's switching to a different pitch or whatever it is, but uh, very rarely is, do people actually pay attention to the sports medicine side of things. And then more importantly, the synergy between, you know, sometimes getting your body right from a sports medicine slash training conditioning standpoint allows you to take on different mechanics, which may allow you to execute things that are in line with what you need to do from a data standpoint to be successful. Yeah. Or I think the numbers will show you and then keep like, okay, the numbers are off. My arm angles, this and that. And then, You'd be like, you know what? My legs just my legs weren't healthy that year. I did have an ag- some kind of injury, and then it's like, oh, well, maybe you weren't in your legs as much. Then you go look at the numbers that, far- or even compare mechanics to legs, and you're just like, what? Well. Like last year, I wasn't in my legs at all, and that's why my spin rates are up. My arm angle was extremely high. My release height was extremely high. It all just started to make sense. You know, I just wasn't using my legs. I think I got to the point of so caught up in wanting to be on top of the sinker you know i was shutting my legs down and thinking i couldn't i didn't i stopped driving the ball i stopped i went against everything i said forever yeah you know me and max yelled at each other so many times <laughs> in spring training about he wanted to pitch off your toe and i wanted the heel to be connected you know and we just did so many stupid so many things yelling at each other where you know we we're we were both right in a sense you know we yeah. both had good sides to talk about but you know i just got away with what i was doing and I, maybe I just, the numbers showed it, you know, that I wasn't using my legs. And obviously this training, I told you, I need you to push me. I need you to get like my legs explosive as much as possible so I can use them again. Absolutely. So here's an interesting question that I'm, I'm actually excited to hear your answer. What's more important stuff or command? hundred percent command. Yeah. It's hundred percent. It's always interesting. Cause you know, by, by, you know, by your own admission, your, your stuff is not necessarily elite. You know what I mean? It's not like right. a, a crazy Blake trying in turbo sinker at one Oh one. Um, you know, the changeup's not Kyle Hendricks, you know, the slider isn't Max Scherzer. So you, you, you really do have to make it work in that regard. Has it always been like that? Or like, do you feel like you get signed if it isn't for the initial stuff? I think right now I couldn't even get a job if I threw a bullpen for these you know, whatever the the guru nerds that they call themselves or whatever, there's no way I'd be able to get a job because I don't have the high spin rate. I'm not going to throw 95 or whatever, but I'll go there and I'll dot corners all day at the knees. 
And if that's not going to impress you, I mean, try to hit it then. Maybe they, I think these guys should start getting in the box and they try <laughs> to hit sinkers. Lots of times people don't even catch it. That's C-Shack. He took one off the knee the other day. Oh, my gosh, yeah. <laughs> that, that, then we I had know. our PT try to play catch with me uh, yesterday, and he took it off the hip. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> you're, I you're, just think, you look at it, how many guys throw 98-99 in AAA right now? There's um, so, they're, pretty, they're much all all, pretty much all of them. <laughs> right. I yeah. mean, and they come up, and they don't have – and they get absolutely slacked, and they get sent back, and everyone's wondering, well, I don't want these guys to throw 98. But every once in a while, one guy will click. But there's probably one out of 20 that have command of what they're doing. That's interesting. So uh, favorite teammate of all time and why? Oh, of all time. You know, I think Max is up there with me because yeah. he let me t- he's Max, and he lets me talk so much trash to him, but he gives it back, but he loves it. But he's willing to listen to me. I I feel like, you know, we helped each other a lot. Obviously, he ruined my career last year, but I feel like I helped him <laughs> thrive. So I told him I just want to say, just give my name in the Cy Young speech and my, I'll be set for life. It's all I need. That's pretty good. I, so I have, a, I have a funny Max story that I think you'll resonate with. So there was like a, a random Thursday um, last offseason. It was like a lower body lift for him. And just, he didn't have it that day. He was just working the mom butt. I don't know. He was doing something. It it just wasn't there. He showed, so at the end of the lift, I, uh, you know, I was like, Hey, sometimes you just got to get him in. I gave him like a fist bump or something like that. And he was pissed at me. He was like, he's like, I want you to ride me. Like you got to wear me out on these days. If I don't, if I don't look like I'm having it, like don't wait till the end of the session. And I, I, I already had a ton of respect for Matt, but on a day like for Max, but on a day like that, it it went to another level because it's what you realize is, you know, when guys have had the success that he's had, you, you, in many cases, just get a lot of people that want to be around and tell you how awesome you are and, and just, you know, you know, do no harm, but do no good. Um, and he was like a guy who, who clearly was craving, you know, uh, basically people to challenge him and try to make him better. And I think that was something that you really did. I don't think people recognize that, you know, would you be in that direct with him? It, 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 I know it made my life easier. He was more open-minded. He started asking a lot more questions on the training side of things. We had mechanics discussions. You really, you really made him think about what makes him successful and how we can continue to improve. And sure enough, you see a better curveball now. You, you know, he goes out and he punches out 300 the, the year after he meets you. So it, it says a lot. I think he... He liked being challenged like that, and no one probably ever said that you can go to another level. And all of a sudden, Max means he can go to another level if he change and be open-minded. I th- he thought about it for a while, and obviously he's willing to be open-minded. We still talk. Yeah. I challenge him with his mechanics all the time. I'll tell him when he's so screwed up, and I, I can't stand watching it anymore. And then last month, you know, I, I told him I can't watch it anymore. I was like, just listen to me, dude. I'm going to help you guide you to number four. And then, obviously, he's on a good run, so now I'm a genius. So. <laughs> <laughs> six six and oh with a one era in june and i was like man this shit's easy i could do this job forever <laughs> <laughs> it's e- it's easy when you got a sample size of one and it's max scherzer so oh yeah true and it's so much easier to tell somebody to do it than have to do it yourself absolutely all right so uh with that said what pitchers do you like to watch and why like who do you find yourself watching the most i love watching kyle hendricks mm-hmm. i love watching that guy uh just one he tells he gets he basically guides me through how i get to pitch everybody so i don't have to even look at a scouting report and he's just so smart what he, he knows exactly what he's doing he puts it exactly where he wants and he's not scared he just he knows what his that's a here's a execution and command is that's Kyle Hendricks. It's unbelievable what he does. I mean, there's so many guys that want to th- that throw 98, 95, and here's this guy that goes 86 to 88. He makes 89 look like 100 sometimes off his changeup, and he goes up in the zone when he wants now. I mean, now he's even a, got a 3,000 spin rate curveball. You know, it came out of nowhere. But he just knows exactly what he's doing, and he's always even killed. You'll never know if he's having a good or bad day. 
you know, and I was really excited to watch Craig Kimmel throw. I've always been a big fan of him. And now that I'm on his team, I'm kind of excited to watch how he works. You know, so he's a Hall of Fame closer. And I've been around a few Hall of Fame closers. And it's always, they're always interesting cats. But so far, he's kind of normal. <laughs> I gotcha. Very cool. Well, listen, this has been super entertaining on a number of fronts <laughs> and informational as well. Um, you have zero social media, so I don't need to tell anybody where they can find you. Um, yeah, well, don't can, find me. They can find you at, at Wrigley Field. That's that's, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, that's where they can find For you. For now. I don't know. My trade deadline's coming up. Uh, that's my two-year anniversary. So you know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, I don't think you're going anywhere. They're in a playoff hunt and you're throwing the ball well. So uh, thanks so much for taking the time, man. Uh, we really appreciate you uh, take, blocking off some time to, to help share some wisdom. No problem. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd be thrilled if you'd consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a review to read on iTunes. We welcome your suggestions for future guests and questions. Just email EliteBaseballPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for your continued support, and we'll see you next episode.